From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. That this does probably foreshadow more litigation going forward. I think there's been increasing pressure, especially on big tech companies, to exert more uh, control over what happens on their platforms. And that's come from a, a wide spectrum of people, right? A bipartisan group of people. Welcome back to season six of the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. Parler was kicked off Amazon's hosting server following the January 6th attack on the Capitol. It suffered another setback when it failed to convince a federal judge in Seattle to force Amazon to reinstate the site favored by right-wing extremists and conspiracy theorists. With us today is John Mark Newman, our in-house antitrust expert, to untangle the arguments. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skibb. Good morning, John. Nice to see you. Good morning. Nice to be back. It's great to have you. Um, so what rationale did Amazon give to cutting Parler off at the knees? Well, Amazon has has cited what we in the antitrust community would call a non-commercial justification. That is, Amazon is not so concerned with profit maximizing in this particular instance. At least that's their story. They are instead you know, really acting out of a sense that that there is dangerous content, that there's a politically dangerous, physically dangerous content being distributed, and that Amazon just does as a business, as a, a corporate citizen, doesn't want to be a party to it. So what was the basis for Parler's antitrust suit against Amazon besides failing? Well, so Parler has set this up uh, in their complaint against Amazon as a kind of conspiracy. And it's for our listeners who remember the 90s, you could characterize this as a, uh, a vast left-wing conspiracy rather than the old vast right-wing conspiracy. And basically what Parler is alleging here is that this, this vast left-wing conspiracy is between Twitter, which is, a, of course, a rival of Parler, a competitor, and Amazon, which is a supplier uh, of cloud computing services, storage, et cetera, to Parler. So it's, it's a conspiracy, but it's a little bit of an unusual one from an antitrust perspective. Usually we think of conspiracies as being between, say, two sellers. Hey, let's, let's agree to raise our prices. This conspiracy that's being alleged by Parler would be between a seller and a buyer, right? So Amazon, a seller, and Twitter, a buyer. That alone is kind of enough to raise some red flags from, from a pure antitrust perspective and say, you know, that conspiracy doesn't make as much sense to me because usually sellers want to get their product in as many hands as possible. Um, buyers want to pay as low a price as possible. So the incentives are a little different here. Uh, but that's the that's the basic allegation is a conspiracy between Twitter and Amazon to uh, kneecap parlor. United States District Judge in Seattle, Barbara Rothstein, didn't buy Parler's argument that that Amazon's decision was in support of, of Twitter. So where does that leave Parler now? Well, I would tend to agree with the judge's decision here. You know, I, I would find it hard to believe that Parler has a good chance of appealing this or, or getting around this. The, the decision reflects pretty well-established antitrust principles. 
So the complaint here, we said, tries to allege a conspiracy between Twitter and Amazon. What it fails to allege is any actual agreement between Twitter and Amazon uh, or any facts that would back up that assertion. It just says, hey, they agreed. But to win an antitrust case or even to survive an early motion to dismiss, you need to have facts in your complaint that suggest an actual agreement. Because this is something that people don't often know, uh, but as long as even competitors are doing the same thing, but not actually agreeing to do it, not explicitly agreeing to do it, it's fine. So two gas station owners across the street from each other could look across the street and say, oh, my competitor raised price. I should do the same. That's fine. What Parler would need to have an actual legal leg to stand on is some actual allegation that, yeah, Twitter and Amazon explicitly agreed to do this. They don't have that in their complaint. So I really don't see a road forward for an appeal. You know, they might try to amend the complaint and refile it if they have more facts that could actually back up this allegation. Um, that would be a route forward. But my guess is the more likely route is that Parler will just need to find an alternative supplier. And it looks like they're taking some steps in that direction already. Was, was the judge's decision just to not grant a temporary restraining order? And so the case can go on, but just the case has so little merit? I think that's right. So the, this decision itself does not necessarily doom the case, but it's a pretty strong indicator of where the judge's thinking lies. And to those of us in the antitrust community, it came as no surprise. I think people viewed this as not being a particularly strong antitrust complaint, both for the reason we already talked about. There's no real allegation of an actual agreement here or conspiracy. And because even if there were, it would look like an odd conspiracy. Like we talked about, the seller-buyer conspiracies are, are pretty rare. So legally, it's on shaky uh, ground. And economically, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. So that's to say, while this, this judge has not yet sunk the case, I suspect that's the direction uh, the judge is leaning. Okay. Um, does this foreshadow any other antitrust issues or in the future or or it was just such an outlier it's like okay that that is not even a hail mary that's a dead horse no i th i think you're absolutely right Catherine. that that this does probably foreshadow more litigation going forward i think there's been increasing pressure especially on big tech companies to exert more uh, control over what happens on their platforms. And that's come from a, a wide spectrum of people, right? A bipartisan group of people. Well, the minute that big tech companies start doing that, they're going to start upsetting the people who they cut off. That could be individual users. It could be uh, rivals like Parler. And whenever you have that happen, you've got at least the potential for antitrust lawsuits. And you know, these companies are pretty big. They are the traditional type of target for an antitrust lawsuit. So you can see a lot of lawsuits. You know, some of them aren't going to be particularly uh, good <laughs> like this one in, in the sense that they're not going to go very far. But there are also credible allegations being filed against these companies. And, you know, you've seen an uptick in that recently from the DOJ, from the FTC, state attorneys general are getting in on it. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right to say that, you know, this is a sign of things to come. There will be more and more antitrust activity in this space going forward. Mm -hmm. Well, 
this may be out in, in left field, but but Parler's business plan was sort of doomed to fail. I mean, a lot of people got off off Twitter because they felt that their voice wasn't heard, and they went on to Parler, and all they were doing was trying to argue with one another. You know, so it it felt like Parler was kind of sliding off the off the screen before all this happened. Uh. I think that's right. My prediction was all along that Parler would not would not work as a business model because people get on Twitter to argue with each other for the most part. And some people get on to share funny memes and jokes. But once you put everyone with like mind in in the same room, they suddenly realize that it's not as fun, not just to argue, but to debate, right, to engage in in, uh, actual debates. And that's just really hard to do if everybody already believes the same things. And so people aren't going to engage with the platform in nearly the same way that they do with a Facebook or a Twitter. Obviously, that engagement doesn't always take healthy forms. Mm -hmm. uh, But I think it is the reason that those platforms have become so big and so widely used. And Parler just can't match that. So we might see similar Parler type offshoots. Maybe you'll see a left wing Parler offshoot. uh, uh, But I'm guessing that those won't gain a lot of traction. Isn't that what Reddit's for? (laughs) <laughs> Reddit's for a lot of things, right? Reddit's for anything from manipulating the stock market to funny memes to uh, left-wing, right-wing discourse. Yeah, Reddit's an interesting one, right? And and it's been around for a while. It's it's always kind of occupied this niche, niche role. Um, whether it will ever develop into a true sort of social media rival, to Facebook or Twitter remains to be seen, but it is a, an interesting corner of the internet. So what should we be looking for in antitrust world in the next six months or, or a year? And, and does the new administration, how does that factor in? Well, Catherine, I think there are two big things to watch here for the next six months to a year, let's say. Um, one of them is what's the administration gonna do with regard to these federal enforcement agencies? Uh, there's some important slots to fill at DOJ, important slots to fill at the FTC. And I think a lot of people are closely watching these appointments to get a sense for whether there really is a push among Democrats to revive antitrust enforcement or whether that's been a lot of talk. At the same time, though, I think we need to keep an eye on Congress. There's some indication last year that a bipartisan consensus exists in Congress to do something to strengthen our antitrust laws. And I would absolutely expect to see that moving forward this year. So let's keep an eye on Congress as well. If they do act, it would be a a big deal. We would be talking about it for, I think, years, decades even to come. And we'll be talking about it here on The Explainer. Sounds good. Thanks, John. Thanks as always for for your time and expertise. Stay healthy. Absolutely, my pleasure, you too. Bye now. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer for a whole new season of interpreting legal issues in the headlines. If you love our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uges. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's ninth annual Hankin Lecture on Human Rights. This year's lecture, Human Rights and Democracy in a New Era, will be delivered by former United Nations Special Rapporteur on Torture, Juan Mendez, on Thursday, February 11th at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. For more information, visit law.miami.edu. Thank you.